A guy I know by the name of Dan Luzona stepped out of a lucrative career in finance to create an entrepreneurial homeschool for his two children. And now he coaches families all over the world using a remarkable system he calls the Einstein Blueprint. You're going to love this. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hi, I'm your host, Lisa Maladnik. Today, we're talking with Dan Luzonis about the Einstein Blueprint. Dan lives in Manhattan today and describes himself as a child acceleration specialist. Naturally, he's a homeschooling father, but also a homeschooling coach with clients all over the world. He and his wife, Inez, are blessed with two teenagers, both of whom have been homeschooled from day one. Dan grew up in Worcester, Massachusetts, went to college at UPenn in Philadelphia, where he graduated early with a double degree in math and economics. He began trading derivatives on the floor of the Philadelphia Stock Exchange and would meet his future wife there. Dan has bounced around quite a bit. Chasing that girl to New York, getting married, living in Brooklyn, Charlotte, a couple towns outside of Boston, and then back to Long Island, where I met him about nine years ago. Dan Lazonis is an extremely passionate homeschooling advocate. For years, he's been hyperactive on several fronts, not just in the local homeschooling communities he's been a part of, but through his blogging, a radio show, and his podcast, which is approaching its 500th episode. Wow, that's awesome. You'll find that Dan has a very aggressive and unique approach to parenting and homeschooling, which he refers to as the Einstein Blueprint. And you can find more about Dan at EinsteinBlueprint.com. And there's lots more links in our show notes. Dan, welcome to the program. Hi, Lisa. Great to be here. Ah, thanks so much for making time. I know you guys are really busy and your wife is jetting off somewhere and everyone is so industrious at your house. Tell us how you all decided to start homeschooling. Just step us into a little bit of your journey. Yeah, you know, Lisa, I didn't even, even though I have, theoretically, theoretically, no, actually, I have an Ivy League education and I theoretically am well-educated and well-traveled. I've lived in, you know, at least a few parts of the country. I had never even heard of the term homeschooling until I was probably 30, 31 years old. Never even heard of it. A lot of people grow up and they know someone who's homeschooled and they have one or two points of, of reference. And now, that as we get older and they get younger, there are a lot more younger people who are growing up uh, more immersed in this, this rapidly mainstreaming uh, educational uh, track. But back then, I mean, I literally didn't know anyone, didn't even know what it was. And so my impression was very reflexive. I thought homeschooling, when I first heard of it, I thought it sounded crazy. <laughs> I thought it, would, it was basically mom standing around at a chalkboard uh, doing a makeshift classroom at home. And I didn't see how it could possibly work. And of course, you know, that I didn't have any background and I wasn't nearly as educated as I thought I was. And now I, I came across it basically online in, in the course of my, what do you call it? Those rab, rabbit holes of Googling. One thing, one hyperlink leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. And that's when I first heard about it. And I, I first started researching it theoretically in and through John Taylor Gatto. Are you, are you familiar with him? I've heard the name, but I haven't read any of his work. Yeah, so that, that was where I first became introduced to the theoretical concept, but it got practical for me when I had a child. And well, not just when I had a 
but not until John was three and a half years old. Actually, I went back and looked at my calendar. He was three and five eighths. And my wife, Inez, had brought home some or she had purchased some Kumon workbooks from probably, I think, I believe it was Barnes and Noble. And I just started you know, tracing the numbers one through 10 with John and started doing a little bit of math with him. And math was my background. I always I've basically been teaching math since I was 14 uh, to other kids who are younger than me. And through my, uh, you know, I did a lot of what would you call it competitive math when I was in high school. That was kind of where I cut my teeth, educationally speaking. But I started doing math with John and started doing these Kumon workbooks one after another after another, tracing the numbers one through 10, one through 30. I believe the next book went up to 120. Then we're adding one, we're adding two. Uh, and gradually, as we kept doing this on a daily basis, I could see him, his comprehension really exploding. I could see the progress and I was really energized by it. And at some point, the, the books are age graded and grade graded. And you can see that you know he's doing multiplication at four years old and we're moving through fractions and everything else. And, and and this is when the idea of homeschooling went from abstract to really like really tangible and really alive. And I could see that, you know, these young kids that they have a lot, well, I could see at least that this young kid in particular, he had a lot of, a lot of potential to do things that school wasn't even going to bring out to him, like bring out from him ever. And so by the time he was five years old, he was really five and an eighth. So it was 18 months after I started this, this experiment, because that's what it was. He, he went from counting to basically starting algebra, and he was still nine months away from kindergarten. Oh, my so, goodness. So it's, Janu it's January. Kindergarten would technically start in September. He was a late November baby, and I could see right away that he wasn't going to go to school. And my wife was, when I was at about 100%, my wife was still at 10, 15, 20. She was some, there's always, there's always a, a leader and a laggard in, in, in the realization in, in homeschool. And sometimes they, they never catch up and they're never on the same page, unfortunately. We can talk about that later. But I could see right away that he couldn't go to school because we had a friend go to the kindergarten orientation and they said to all the parents, at the end of kindergarten, we hope your child can count to 10 and knows how to hold a book, not read a book, not write a book, but, but just hold a book. So I, on one hand, I was seeing all this, this potential, all this capacity in children. And on the other hand, the expectations right off the get-go, you know, you could see that they were, uh, which they, were, they weren't even ashamed of. They were, they were out there. They weren't, it wasn't like they weren't saying these were their goals. These were their stated goals. And so I knew that we were going to never send John to a, you know, to a traditional school right away. And that's when, like I said, the, the whole abstract idea of homeschooling became real. And I started to like research. We were, we were living in the Boston area on the South Shore. I started to research, is there a homeschooling group around? And that, that's kind of the beginning of my journey. And there's a lot more to it than that. But that was, that's kind of like my, what do you call it? The, uh, that's my story of origin. Your inciting incident, you suddenly have this epiphany that your son is accelerating like crazy. You found a strength in him, and you're starting to help him to really step into it and live it. And just describe John's reaction as a little kid. You, you, know, you noticed that his comprehension was increasing. What kind of excitement or energizing experience was that, do you think, for John? Well, I really don't know because I don't have any other points of reference at that at that stage of my life. He, he's, you know, a fish doesn't know it's wet. And when you're a new parent, you're, you're, you're kind of in the fog of new parenthood. And most people are just playing defense, trying to, trying to get, get sleep and, and sneak out. And it's funny because when, <laughs> before you have kids, we used, to, we used to fight about which restaurant to go to. 
Then after you have kids, you're like, no, no, I get to do the dishes. No, it's you get the kids. And um, oh, no, I want to go to the supermarket. It would stop and shop up there or whatever. And, and you would go through the stop and shop and it would be pure bliss. And you would be going one mile an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't, you know, I wasn't really thinking about anything other than I really didn't have any vision. And what's amazing to me now is I have these young parents who have kids who aren't even born or six months old. And they say, I want to homeschool the kids. I want my kids to do this, this, and this. And they have this vision. And I'm like, you're, I'm excited for you because you're so far ahead of the game. I didn't have anyone that I could really plug into. I was cobbling together my mentorship, my guidance, and really operating off of instinct and going by the seat of my pants. And this is only 10, 12 years ago. People don't understand how much more developed the resources for homeschooling parents are today than they were even back then. Yeah. So as, you're, as you developed your own methods, tell us about how they're unique. Because you've described yourself as being very aggressive and unique. And, and I've watched it happen with your kids. They're amazing kids. Uh, tell us about that. Step us into what that looks like in your home. Well, you, in terms of unique, what I discovered was basically that kids had massive capacities when they were young, three, four, five years old, six. And I, I, didn't, I didn't know what they were. I sensed it. But then years later, after my kids were past this stage, I found an author named Glenn Doman. And he talked about how a child's brain is growing at an exponential rate from conception to age six and how there's this huge educational window of opportunity. And that kids who were, were I would say, pushed, but kids who were really worked with at that young age and how it, it had a, a pr tremendous ripple effect throughout their whole life. In other words, if you can get their vocabulary up at a young age, you almost can't catch them up later on. So language skills are important. Uh, reading is important. Children who read at a very young age become very, very fast readers. Like my son, John, he can read a page anywhere between 15 and 17 seconds with, with semi-photographic memory. Now, if you think about this as an adult, what type of advantage does that give you in life if you, if you can read fast? Bill Gates has said that if he could have, I think it was both Bill Gates and Warren Buffett have said that if they could have one superpower, it would be the ability to read faster, right? Because that's an ultimate uh, intellectual you know, leverage that you have you know, at every moment. So I didn't realize this totally at the time, but as I work with more kids, including my daughter, Christine, behind John, as I, I, I dove deeper uh, into the research of basically the brain and education, as I experimented with my guinea pig children, it, it all started to click. And, and like this is like one of the big mistakes people make is they think, oh, my kid's going to learn to read when they go to school. They're going to learn math when they go to school. And everyone is just kind of forfeiting this early window of opportunity. And there's a lot of resistance to it. I mean, like I've been, I've been blasting out this, this gospel of, you know, do a little bit of math with your kids when they're four for a long period of time. And I've gotten a lot of pushback, let the kids be kids and that, you know, they're not developmentally ready. And, and, and where I diverge is, is that I completely and vehemently disagree with that. And, and I will say this, that, you know, these kids have 16 hours in a day, or maybe 14 hours, depending on how long they sleep. If you just did two hours of math and reading a day, they'd still have 12 hours a day to be a kid. Like you're, you're not, you're not taking away their childhood. If anything, what you're doing and what I tell people is, is I don't want my kids to just enjoy their childhood. I want them to enjoy their adulthood. I don't want them to be 30 years old and just learning what homeschooling is. I don't want them to be in their 40s and just learning about some of these things like personal development and entrepreneurship and whatever. So I'm, I'm playing the long game here. And, and a lot of people, I think their reflex 
and this we can get deep into homeschooling. And I think a lot of people's reflex is is very anti-education. They think math is pain, right? And so they avoid it. And 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 because math was pain for them, because school was pain for them, because reading and writing were pain for them, they, they transmit to that that to their kids, even if they are homeschooling. Right. So they get this idea that everything has to be fun. Everything has to be animated cartoons and music and, and kumbaya. And I'm like, whoa, you know what? If your kid can master multiplication when they're four, that's actually really fun. And it actually creates a, a very solid foundation that you can build everything else on, including violin, including art. Yeah, I just want to add to that, that it's really sparking the, the life coach in me because so many adults really struggle with clarifying priorities, like simple priorities that can be kind of time mapped into their week so that those things get done first. And, you know, at the time of the day when you have the most energy and intellectual focus, and then yes, you have the rest of the day to do other things. But it's just really connecting. I'm just realizing that while you're also doing this accelerated growth thing, they're learning a lot of lessons on a lot of different levels, prioritizing time, um, allowing space for their other pursuits. I mean, when you have that kind of a laser focus, you see the benefits immediately because you're not meandering. Tony Robbins said people who succeed have, have momentum. And one of the biggest mistakes, people come to me for math. The biggest mistakes people make with math is they lose momentum. I can tell you that as I experimented with my son, John, if he, if he did math on Friday, if he didn't do math on Saturday and Sunday, by the time Monday came along, he had forgotten what six plus seven was. But if we had done a little bit of math Saturday and Sunday, not only did he know what six plus seven was on, on, on Monday, we were on to eight plus nine and 11 plus 13. And so what, what, what people are doing is they're losing momentum with, with math. And math is really the, the lead domino uh, subject for, for so many reasons. And it's also a big pain point for, for, for the homeschooling community. Because a lot of the homeschooling community is, is led by moms. And, you know, sometimes the dads, most often the dad is stronger in math. And, and, and the moms might feel overmatched in that area. And so, you know, they have to do things like they have to find teachers and resources. It's not as easy to them. It's not as easy for them. So math is like a huge thing. And I'm like, get it out of the way early. Do math with your kids when they're young. It's actually easier to do it every single day when they're young. When they're, when they're young. And like you said, first thing in the morning, I have a concept that I call math for breakfast. And what I did with my kids was I would move the breakfast dishes over and we would, the kumam, but we wouldn't even leave the table. It would, it would, it would go right there. Now, there's, there's actually better ways to do it. I think actually recess should be first. They should move their bodies first. Uh, as I've gotten older, uh, God should come first. And even breakfast might not come first either beca or because you can tell a child, and I have students and I work with them very intimately, they won't do their math. Well, how about they don't eat breakfast till they're done their first two you know, pages? They'll get that done faster because there's a little bit of an incentive. <laughs> but the, the idea is that math should be done first thing in the morning, like you said, not left for eight o'clock at night when willpower, when everyone's willpower, including moms and dads, is, is at basically running on empty. You, you, you knock over math in the morning and the rest of the day runs down. You feel good about yourself. And, and I have parents tell me, and I've seen it myself with my own kids, that when we do long, intense math sessions, that their kids' behavior, behavior, self-control, that's what really we're talking about with behavior. You know, they're not going to give you lip. They're going to do what you ask them. They're not going to mess with their siblings. Their behavior improves 
after like a math beating. And, and I hate to call it a math beating. I, I do it jokingly. Hopefully that comes across in, in the podcast. I mean, there's nobody out there that loves math more than me. I mean, math basically got me into the Ivy League. And the more I reflect on it, math was actually the foundation for everything that I've achieved in life. And, and it's like, you know, it, it's a shame because people come out of the system and they hate to read and they hate math. And then they're, they're pretty much in, in big trouble, honestly. Right, right. So just, um, I just want to mention that when I first met you, it didn't take long for you and your family to not only join in on, on lots of fun activities from science to whatever. I mean, your kids were probably a little bit like, wow, man, I'm, I'm kind of beyond this. But they were having a great time. They're really great kids. They're well-adjusted kids, very likable children, and were embraced immediately. But you as a homeschool dad in this ocean of homeschool moms did something remarkable. You could have hung at the fringes and been, you know, felt a little funny about um, you know, maybe that difficulty of moms inviting you over and things like that, but you didn't. You became a leader very quickly. You stepped up and offered your services. You became a part of things. And that really just, I, I admired that because you le led as an example to your children as well and found a place for yourself and your children in that community very quickly. Can you just step us into a little bit about that? I mean, your, maybe your strategic thinking or maybe what came naturally to you or some advice for other dads. How did you look at that landscape of the sea of moms and find your way into it? Well, I, I would never say that I was a leader throughout the, the beginning chapters of my life. This is something that when you become a parent, things become more apparent to you. Like you got you to gotta be a faith-filled home. You've got to set an example. You have to show love. And yeah, if you want your kids to read books, they should probably see you reading books. If you want your kid off devices, you should be off the devices. I don't think I was intentionally a leader. I think it was just, I was thrust into this proactive role. I'm in New York and I need to find other kids who are homeschooled and it, it's not easy. We're not in Florida. We're not in the Bible Belt. And I literally had a hundred mile radius of where I was driving to get to one class for one kid, not for both kids. Now, nowadays, I say, don't go there unless you, all your kids or at least more than one can get something out of it. And I was driving all over Long Island and into Manhattan, not driving into Manhattan, but taking a train in. And every year I got smarter. We have to get smarter too because we have limited bandwidth. We got, we've got more kids coming. We've got aging parents. We, we, have, we need leverage. And so every year, my radius went and started to narrow. I think it went from 100 miles to 60 miles to 12 miles. And then at, at some point, I said, well, why don't I just organize my own classes? Why don't I organize my own co-ops? And if this isn't my own idea. I've seen other people do it. I've read about it online. And I said, you know what? I'm going to create a Monday co-op, and I'm going to have a Spanish class and chess teacher and origami. And, and I'm going to create the one day. I'm going to centralize everything uh, for the benefit of me. And so, I mean... Was that leadership? I, I think it was more just proactivity. And, and, and all homeschooling parents are proactive on some levels. We can all be more proactive. The more proactive we are, the more our kids see it, the more it becomes like the norm, like you say. And that's, that's a huge lesson to teach our kids. Staying on the fringes, I don't, I don't think I've ever, that was ever in my nature. I always sit in the front. Even when I was a, an imprisoned student, I was always sitting <laughs> in the front. If I go to a marketing conference, I always sit in the front. I, I just, I think, I don't know if my mother trained me to do that or if it's just kind of an ego thing. But uh, being a homeschool dad, if, if I can talk about that, 
I, I never really thought of it that much. Uh, I never, I don't know. I just, I, I've always been me. A fish doesn't know. <laughs> a fish doesn't know they're wet. I've always, I've never even saw myself as, as a male in a female do- dominated area. And I never even thought about, well, this is funny because I never even thought about the male female dynamic because, well, honestly, I don't think I understood anything about women until I was married. <laughs> and then I don't, then I, it dawned on me again that I didn't know anything about women until I had a daughter. Uh-huh. So, and then recently I was hit with another inflection point as you know, my daughter entered puberty and stuff. And I'm like, well, I still, I'm still scratching the surface of this iceberg. And so I, I never really thought about those lines, uh, male, female, or anything like that. And, um, you know, I've always liked to be different, Lisa. I was always the youngest guy at the golf course. I was always the only one with no hair, you know, shaved head. I was just, it was in me to be different and probably foreordained that I would be a a homeschooler because that is the only way you can become really different. (laughs) I think maybe that puts other people at ease too, Dan. You know, when we're comfortable in our own skin, even people like you who are really, really driven and you might not say, oh, this person is perfectly content. You, you find that kind of energy and drive in another person coupled with that self-acceptance of, yeah, I like to be different, so that you weren't focusing on the particular difference of, you know, a man in the, in the sea of women, but just your natural differentness, which is so affirming for your kids, too, and affirming for the people around you. I think that's, you know, we talk a lot in this conversation about things that are energizing, and I think that's one of them. One thing you said to me, which... I remember, and it was years ago, you said that our homeschool kids have a lot of women in their life and they need male teachers. And you were, you were an advocate of, well, this is what we have to do. We have to supplement, right? If we're good at teaching the piano, but not math, we got to find the math teacher, the math class, the math resource or whatever. And I remember you saying that your daughter in particular or the, the homeschooling community in general, they, they need more male teachers. And like, yeah, I 100% agree. We, we are here to work on our weaknesses and, f- and fill in the voids and, and really try to raise bulletproof, future-proof, anti-fragile kids. We don't want them to have blind spots. Now, I grew up with blind spots. Most of us, and you can see behind me, but our viewers can't, but you can see the, ex- the expensive apartments behind me living in Manhattan. Most of us were raised on this school track. And even though I have a degree in economics from an Ivy League college, I can tell you that they did not teach me anything about how to thrive in the business world, right? And so like one of the things that I really wanted my kids to have is, is not wake up when they're 35 and 40, not go through you know, school, a farce of a school and find out that actually they don't know how to thrive out there. And uh, yeah, that's one of the big blanks that as my kids get older, I have pivoted away from academics and towards like, how, how can we create maximum time in money leverage in their lives because we're talking about I'm talking about the end game here earlier you asked me you know how I how I'm different what's different about the Einstein blueprint I would say that it's marked it's punctuated at the beginning by a more aggressive start more focused aggressive start and at the end by a more uh, aggressive end game right and and if you play chess (laughs) the chess is chess game is broken into the opening the middle game and the end game so this this uh, what would you call it this lexicon of the end game i mean when our kids leave and your daughter just left like when they leave we kind of lose a lot of leverage with them we're lucky if they talk to us never mind listen to us or take our advice so so how they leave the trajectory that they leave 
our, our homes with, the skills that they have, the knowledge that they have, the habits that they have, the values, of course, you know, the, the godly morals that they have when they leave, like that's it. We're, we're, you know, then we're just, then we turn into real prayer warriors. We thought we were prayer warriors when we had kids, when they leave and when they start, you know, courting and whatnot. So I'm very, very focused on, on the end game. And to me, that is entrepreneurship. It's not, it's not even the Ivy League. Yeah. And as a guy who went through the Ivy League too, you have a really different view of college. Talk about that with your kids. Are you guys looking at colleges? No, absolutely, absolutely not. And so that's the thing. People keep most people think if they can only get their kid into a better school than they went to, that their kid will be better off. And that that is a, a fatal myth out there. And by the law of induction, I can tell you, I went to UPenn. I graduated early. I had a practical major. There is no networking there. There wasn't networking there in the early '90s. You don't leave with some magical network. The whole thing is is not uh, nearly what anyone else thinks it's worth. And at the same time, what's happened with the democratization of knowledge and uh, information and the communication revolution of the internet, the fact that that I can teach this morning, I'm teaching a student in Taiwan. The fact that you can work from anywhere, the fact that you can learn anything, that you can reach people. Uh, that has totally changed the educational game for the better, but only if you understand it, right? You can put your head down in the sand and act like it's 1985 and the only path to a brighter future is to go to college and get a degree and whatever, because back then th that was the only path. We didn't have the internet. I mean, you, you arguably still should have been able to homeschool and be resourceful and start your own business and learn, find mentors and do all these, you know, things that you know I advocate for now but but back then it was harder right now the, the 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 hurdle the excuse hurdle is so much lower you can take MIT and Harvard classes online but they're not they're not going to get you anywhere they really aren't and um, at the same time you can follow entrepreneurship podcasts and blogs and you can empty your closet and sell your goods and you know I have both my kids working now both my kids pretty much their main focus and one of the main reasons we worked in we work we moved into manhattan was so that they could hustle and, and grind and get the everyday uh, well i would call it the ubiquitous economics lesson it's not just economics but there's, there's a lot of educational value just to walking around manhattan what is that what are they protesting what do they sell but so that they could work and if i can just share one vision when my kids were really young, we went to Florida. I got the idea that why should I winter in Boston when Florida is warm? And we ended up going to Florida. We've done this about five or six years for a whole month, wintering, snowbirding. We call ourselves the youngest snowbirders. And one day I wanted, uh, I had the radical idea that my wife and I could go out to eat with, without the kids. And I asked a friend of mine who lived down there, I said, can you get me a babysitter? And he got us a babysitter from his church. The 16-year-old girl shows up to babysit my young kids, and she shows up in a brand new car. And this was, this was probably 10 years ago now. And it dawned on me that not only did she have a brand new car, she bought it with her own money. It turns out this girl was working all week long babysitting, and it dawned on me that because she had this leverage of being homeschooled, that she wasn't burdened with tests and homework and that she had control over her education and control over her time, that she could work all week long and that she could make a boatload of money, that she could build a career 
and a bank account at a young age and not start $100,000 in debt like, like a lot of people are starting now after college. And so that seed was planted in my head by the example of another homeschooler way back when. Right. And, and we're so enslaved to this college debt thing. I mean, it's, it's threatening at this point with some of the political rhetoric going on to even crash our economy. Um, but this, this is one of the big lies. As, as there's been a gradual inflation in the economy generally, and you know, with its spikes and everything as an economist, you understand that far better than I do. But college costs have skyrocketed way out of alignment with the rest of society. And it feels like such a shell game to me. But they know they're in our heads. They have this psychological hold over parents about wanting the best for their children. And so we waste all this money, put our children in debt, you know, perhaps for the rest of their lives, which delays their ability to start families and own businesses and own their own homes. And so we start off with this horrible thing hanging over their heads. Whereas the child who's entrepreneurial as a, as a kid and learns to be financially in control and to, be, to learn how to, as you said, to go, what do you call it, grinding, uh, hustling and grinding. Hustling and grinding. That's a kid with confidence in the economy who doesn't waste four years if they don't need that specialized education. If they're not going to be a doctor or something that needs a very particular track of education, most other kids, you know, are, could can find other ways. As you said, there's so much online. There's even Ivy League courses available online, many of them for free or low cost for homeschooling students. So what advice would you give to homeschoolers, especially those who need to be earning an income from home? You're juggling a lot while you're homeschooling your kids and you're doing it effectively. What kinds of pointers would you give us? Well, there are a couple of big mistakes to avoid. And in one of them is recreating school at home. There are a lot of, when people are new homeschoolers, they're like, well, I need to buy a curriculum. This is kind of a reflexive, it's very understandable. I need a curriculum. And so they go buy a canned curriculum because there's a lot of demand for it. And, and um, because there's a lot of demand for it, there are a lot of products. This is the economy at work. There are a lot of products out there that say, well, we're a complete curriculum for this, this, and this, and we're Christ-centered, and we're, they, they say all the buzzwords. And so most new homeschoolers start out with a complete curriculum, and then they rapidly learn that, that's, that they need more than that. They need piano. They need more holistic philosophy. So I'm not going to discourage anyone from buying a curriculum, but uh, I want them to understand so <laughs> that, that very quickly that you, you can't recreate school you can't recreate school at home because you know, well there's a variety of reasons which we won't go into, but the kids aren't going to be happy, right? And the second thing that, that, that the second big mistake that parents make, new parents make, is they get they overschedule the kids. They sign up for this class and this class and this class and this class, just like I did. My radius was 100 miles and 60 miles. And at some point, and I only have two kids, which is not a lot of kids in this community. But at some point, they spread themselves too thin and everything basically, uh, everything goes, uh, <laughs> goes to put, they're not getting enough math in, they're not getting enough reading in, the laundry's piling up, and so on and so forth. So don't overschedule your kids. Don't rely on a complete curriculum. Cobble together what works for you. And also, mom and dad have to do research. The more research I did, the the more I worked on my own head game, my own knowledge, the more leverage I generated, the more confidence. Confidence is huge. A lot of homeschoolers quit because they lack confidence. They just buy a new curriculum. It doesn't work. Then they start curriculum hopping. I'm going to buy this math curriculum. I'm going to buy this history curriculum. And they're like the bad golfer who just keeps changing their golf clubs. They got to learn about the swing. They got to change their swing. 
And so that's, that, that's my kind of like, you know, main advice for new homeschoolers. They're going to have to go through some struggles up front. They're going to, there's a learning curve and every family is different. They, I, it's not for me to tell someone that their kids should do three hours of math in the morning or that they shouldn't do this or that. They're going to have to figure it out on their own, but there are best practices and there are common, common pitfalls. And those are the, a couple of those I just mentioned. Yeah, so um, as we're wrapping up, because we're just about out of time, give us uh, a sense of what you offer through the Einstein Blueprint. What are, when parents come to you for consultation, what kinds of services are you offering? Well, I'm trying to knock lead dominoes over. And what I mean by lead dominoes is I'm, I'm trying to generate, like I said, I've used the expression before, maximum time uh, and even money leverage uh, in, in the family because we all need more time and we all have a limited amount of money and there are limits also to what money can do. So when people come to me, normally I start with, you know, what are your goals? And most people say, I want my kid to do this or this. And sometimes I say, well, I don't, that's not actually what I do. I haven't said this yet, but the Einstein blueprint is, its mission is to unlock kids full potential, not to check a box, not to just, you know, send in, the, do the minimum. So my unique mission is to really get the kids multiple grade levels above normal to create extremely well-rounded kids and also keep in mind you know an end game that makes sense so when they first come to me you know we start with you know why are you homeschooling everybody has a story we started this episode with why am i homeschooling and it, your goals can change they will change we don't know everything and if if we think if we haven't learned anything from the last year or two or 10 then then we're not learning and growing ourselves your goals will change but it has to start with goals and then the question is what's what's the fastest way to get there the, the low hanging fruit just as if somebody went on a diet you'd say well you got to stop eating those what you're eating the low hanging fruit is ultimate or complete screen detox my kids were raised on zero television and I don't know how you can create readers. I haven't seen it yet. How you can create readers when you have a family whose subconscious is taken over by what they're watching on Netflix, uh, kids watching animated cartoons. So when you come into my world, you're going to learn real fast that we don't mess around and that there's no place for video games and, and passive uh, video consumption. And on top of that, or what we'll build on top of that is what do you do first thing in the morning? And it's going to be math and it's going to be reading. It's going to move the bodies. And uh, it's very simple. If you're looking for a complicated system, there's Pinterest.com. And you can go <laughs> look at all those moms out there that have these perfect, perfect homes with clean tables and basically nothing going on. And uh, you can try to do that on your own. But most of us in the real world know that, that a homeschool house is very messy, and that there's a lot going on, that things get complicated really quick, and that you really do need the leverage of having kids who read books. So you can just throw books at them and say, hey, you're going to teach yourself science. You're going to teach yourself history. You really do need kids with a long attention span. Kids who are on screens every day, they don't have the attention span to do hard work. They're not going to practice the violin. They're not going to do math. They're not, they're not going to go deep inside their own imagination. Right? That's another component of the Einstein blueprint. Art. Art to me is more important than, than math. And I'm a math guy. Albert Einstein said, Everybody agrees. Albert Einstein, he personifies genius. He's one of the smartest people to ever walk the earth. He says imagination is more important than knowledge. I didn't have an art class after seventh grade on the traditional route. And I had to, as a homeschooling parent, think about how can I cultivate 
creativity in my kids. So again, what the Einstein blueprint is, we're reverse engineering success. We're looking at what Albert Einstein, Steve Jobs, Oprah Winfrey, uh, Marie Curie, what all these super successful people have done throughout the ages, and we're just going to reverse engineer the past on how they got there. That's what it is. So it's a very big concept. It makes a whole lot of sense. But again, nobody's doing it. Like nobody, nobody's doing it. Even within the homeschooling community, there are very few people who are, whose goal is, I want to unleash my kids' full potential. I tell people there are 20 reasons, 20 valid reasons for homeschooling, any one of which all on its own is valid. If your kid's getting bullied at school, you got to pull them out. If you want your child to go closer to God, if you want to have stronger bonds with them, if your child is a good tennis player or whatever, there are 20 valid reasons for doing it. I say, why not homeschool your kids for all 20 reasons? Why not do it so you can raise entrepreneurs, so you can have tighter bonds, so you can travel the world? I didn't get to this yet, but we, we've been to 15 countries and we've lived overseas. So all these things that I saw homeschooling pioneers do before me, all these possibilities they presented to me, my wife and I have worked tirelessly and selfishly to try to, put, try to give our kids these chances as well. And so that's just a little window into what the Einstein blueprint is. And, and look, again, it's very simple. It's, if you want a complicated system, you can go to Pinterest. But, um, you know, I've been there. It's, it's nice to look at. <laughs> right. But it's very sterile. It's like a lot of social media it presents a false front because you can push everything out of the way of the, the frame of the camera when you take a picture like that. And that's, that's the unfortunate. That creates a lot of anxiety, I think, for our young people, too, that gets in the way of them doing what you're describing, which is developing their own imaginations and going deep and being confident and knowing how to be strong in the world, to be durable, to be bulletproof, as you said. Um, it's so exciting to think about just stepping back and looking at what are our reasons, what's our why, and what are, what's our end game, and how can we help our kids to really be firing on all cylinders. Any parting thoughts, Dan, before we wrap up? Yeah, absolutely. How, how, how can we give them the education that, that, that we didn't have? Right. That, you know, I, I get angry that I was introduced to business at a young age, but it wasn't it wasn't anyone's fault. It just was what it was. But it would be my fault if I didn't do anything about it. If I if I let the <laughs> these I wouldn't say sins, but if I let these generational curses, you know, just keep going uh, on and on and not not pattern interrupting them. Yeah, that would be that would be a shame. I believe that that my role as a parent is, is literally to unleash my kids' God-given potential. I think it was Stephen King, who's not even a, a Christian, I believe. I think he said, if God gave you the ability to do something, why in God's name would you, would you not do it? And I, I look at myself and I, I feel angry and frustrated on many levels that in the sense that I didn't reach my full potential. I'm still growing and that's exciting, but uh, you know, I'm doing things in my 40s that I, there's no reason why. Look, the whole the whole world of personal development, entrepreneurship, there's no age minimum on them. These kids can start these things way younger. And, and one thing that I will point out is that Warren Buffett, people think of him as some guy who sits there and got lucky and invested in stocks. By the time he was 18 years old, he had already tried 20 businesses. People don't know this. He was putting pinball machines in barbershops and he was doing all sorts of things. And so one of my core principles with the Einstein Blueprint is really just start early. Don't, don't delay anything. Just start everything now. Even if you can just put a toe in, even if you can just introduce your child to it, just start early. Stop waiting. And, you know, with active, ambitious, 
uh, parents who, you know, who have God first and who have, uh, you know, who are future focused, it's, it's pretty easy when you get your priorities straight. Mm, beautiful. And I feel like when we jump in and we have faith like that, or we have allow ourselves and our children to have a vision for their lives, uh, God really blesses that. God, uh, I believe, oh, I'm not so good with the Bible, but I, I believe God wants us to live life. I think it says in the Bible uh, to live life to the fullest. I'm not sure what verse that is, but someone else out there knows. But, but we can't live life to the fullest if we are on an antiquated educational system, if we are not teaching our kids uh, directly, if we're not modeling growth and the value of education, and if we're not really you know, waking up every day excited to do something new and learn and get better. Like that to me is, is not just the Einstein blueprint. I think that's, I think that's God's blueprint for us. Amen. All right. Thank you, Dan, so much. It's been just a delight having you with us. And everybody um, note that on the second Wednesday of every month, Dan does his short feature too on the Einstein blueprint and make sure that you're listening to that. Check out einsteinblueprint.com. We'll also have the link to Dan's Einstein blueprint podcast on our show notes, a link to his YouTube channel, and uh, a link to the 111 books he read in 2016. I'm sure there's a great story behind that. And as always, just so much, uh, so much fun, so interesting talking with you. Everybody hold on for our short feature coming right up. Hi, this is Chantal Howard with Ideal to Real. I'm coming to you today enduring the same somber and challenging reality that the rest of you are. I'm sheltering in place without access to the sacraments. I'm away from my family and friends and I'm watching and waiting, praying for those who are dying, those who are in the front lines of the fight with this bug. And I'm trying to be surrendered to the course this may take for me and my family. I feel like there's never been a more striking backdrop to our moment together as we discuss the often painful transition from ideal to real. But the good news is that it is when we stare our reality in the face that we can begin to live in hope because hope doesn't exist in the world of ideals. Hope is for the here and now, the place where struggle is real, where grit is needed and where life is just tough. So today I want to tackle the painful topic of homeschool anxiety. If you've just begun homeschooling for the first time as a result of school closures, or even if you've homeschooled for years, anxiety is just part of the package. We fear failure and we grow anxious about our kids' behavior. We wrestle with guilt over our impatience. We struggle with their resistance and ultimately we fret and feel fatigued and just never know for certain that we are doing it right. I've been on both ends of the experience, having been homeschooled and experiencing anxiety as a homeschool mom of five. I know what it's like to feel like your kids are falling behind. I know what it's like to be the kid feeling pressured <laughs> to keep up with the rest of the world. And I also know what it's like when you can't keep your high achievers challenged enough. I've watched as my kids have rejected my perfect plans and no coercion or discipline could convince my strong-willed children to comply. So my tips today aren't about how to make anxiety go away. Sorry. I honestly just don't think that's a realistic possibility. Much like the current suffering around us, the Lord permits our struggle to ensure the outcome of our lives is for His glory. And like the way of the cross, 
He walks with us even as he wills the pain to persist. So today, I hope to be your Simon of Cyrene with three simple tips to hopefully help you persevere. Number one, when tension is high and anxiety mounts, simplify the academic pressure or even set them aside for a few weeks. There isn't anything that is so pressing that can't be learned down the road a bit. Instead, just live a little. Enjoy a drawn out breakfast, turn on chant or praise music, or even just some light instrumental music to ease the tension in the air. Surprise your brood with a bike ride or an unexpected movie night or an audiobook adventure, or just snuggle up with your kids and read a good story. Number two, don't guilt trip your kids. Don't lecture them or insinuate that they're falling behind or that you're failing. Rather, I encourage you to talk your struggle out with a trusted homeschool mentor or a fellow homeschool friend where you can vent without projecting your stress on your kids. Chances are your kids aren't feeling what you're feeling and fellow moms are going to be sure to share their struggle as well and will help put things in perspective. Number three, lastly, bring your struggle to prayer and surrender your children back into the arms of the father. I routinely pray prayers asking the good Lord and our Blessed Mother to make up what's lacking in me, and I renew daily my consecration of my kids to them. In the end, Jesus, I trust in you, is a comforting prayer that can be repeated over and over and over. Because even if in our eyes all is lost, we know that nothing is impossible with God and everything works together for good when we truly love Him. I'm Chantal Howard with Ideal to Real. Come follow me at chantal-howard.com or aromarosary.com. That's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com, where you can get online courses for your grade school, middle school, and high school student. Learn from the experts and make your homeschooling easier. Be sure to leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. And we'll see you next time here on the Homeschooling Saints podcast.